I think humans generally just ruin everything. Like marketers ruin good stuff. Like this is a very valuable, cool technology. And of course it was spun into this like scamming thing right away. So I think it's going to be widespread because people are generally lazy and like to find quick ways to make money. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 36 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Caput. Hello, Mike. Hey, Paul. How's it going? We got a deep topic today. We got to talk, <laughs> we got to talk about AGI. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't really planning on going into this. I've been working on some AGI-related stuff for a while. And then Sam Altman just like goes and ruins my Friday and drops <laughs> his like planning for AGI post. So... We will get into AGI as well as a couple other big topics for the week. But first, this episode is brought to you by the AI for Writers Summit. Uh, artificial intelligence won't replace writers, but writers who use AI will replace writers who don't. AI writing tools, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, are rapidly transforming the art and science of storytelling. Writing and editing career paths are being redefined, while media companies, brands, and agencies must move quickly to reimagine their content teams and strategies to stay competitive. This is very relevant today, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the chat GPT stuff. Uh, so that's where we're bringing together thousands of writers and marketers at our virtual event, the AI for Writers Summit on March 30th from 12 to 4 Eastern time. I think we have, I think we're over 1,500 or 1,600 people registered for that event already. So yeah. uh, check it out. There's a free pass option so you can join for free. We're going to talk through the state of AI writing tools. We're going to get into how generative AI can make writers and content teams more efficient go through dozens of writing uh, use cases and tools, uh, considering the impact, consider the impact on career paths, look at negative effects on uh, writers and potential negative effects, and then give you a chance to connect with other uh, writers and marketers and attendees. So again, there's a free option. It's AIWritersSummit.com, uh, March 30th from 12 to 4. It is a virtual event, so no reason not to check that out. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mike if you're new to the show. We uh, go through three topics. Mike and I kind of pick the hot topics. We swapped two of them out this morning. There was so much going on that we had our three sets. We are recording this on Monday, February 27th, uh, and we, we took two of them out. So we're going to do a rapid fire at the end because there was a couple we wanted to get to that got bumped. So, all right, Mike, let's go. All right. Well, like you mentioned, we're going to dive in and kind of come in very hot here because OpenAI is planning for AGI. So OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT, Dolly2, uh, GPT3, just published a bombshell of a blog post titled, quote, planning for AGI and beyond. So here AGI means artificial general intelligence or AI systems that are smarter than humans at many different tasks, not just a narrow task. So OpenAI says that AGI, quote, has the potential to give everyone incredible new capabilities. We can imagine a world where all of us have access to help with almost any cognitive task, providing a great force multiplier for human ingenuity and creativity. But 
OpenAI also notes the serious risks of misusing such a hyper-intelligent system. They then outline some short and long-term principles to, quote, carefully steward AGI into existence. Now, this is a really, really important announcement, Paul. I want to ask you, why are they making this and why now? It appears that they think they're making progress toward AGI. I mean, I think that's the largest uh, takeaway here. <clears throat> and they've implied this before. You know, that is their mission, as you said, is to, you know, benefit humanity with AGI. So they have believed since the beginning that this was possible. And they seem to think that they're making progress. Now, Sam, so they put this out on Friday, the 24th, was it, I guess? 25th? Yeah, 24th. Sam then tweeted, I think the next day, a new version of Moore's law that could start soon. The amount of intelligence in the universe doubles every 18 months. Uh, so I think it's, um, one, they have a very specific point of this. I think that's really important for everyone to understand. They see things that many of us don't see. Most of us don't see. There are certainly people in other AI research labs that are making similar progress and may or may not believe that they're also making progress toward AGI. Um, the problem, of, there's a lot of problems with this post, but the, the big thing that jumps out to me for a moment is they don't really define AGI. So, I mean, they give a definition, but it differs from their other definitions they've previously given. And so, you know, I had made a note that there was a sort of glaring gap here with what they're saying, and that is that they don't really state what it is or how we're going to know when we're going to get there. Like, what are the measurements with which we're actually tracking against? Because AGI is a very uh, vague the definitions I've seen are very vague. So just OpenAI themselves, they say OpenAI's mission is to ensure that AGI, by which we mean highly autonomous systems that outperform humans at most economically viable work. So that's that's the one they say on their website, which is very vague. It's very general in its definition. Then in this post, they say AI systems that are generally smarter than humans. Those are very different things. And so that to me right up front is the biggest issue here is we're throwing up these red flags and creating maybe some unnecessary fear. Uh, a lot of AI researchers think that it's just uh, them like bluster, like it's not real stuff, like they, they, they aren't actually making progress toward AGI and this is unnecessary to create this kind of fear around it. So. My big thing is whether we agree on AGI, we're making a path toward it or not, or that it is even possible, we need clear definitions and ways to measure progress toward it. Because one of the key takeaways is uh, how do we, like, th they want to have guardrails to prevent it from going bad. Well, if we don't know what it is or how we're going to know when we get to it, how do we avoid accidentally reaching it? before taking the necessary steps to prevent it. So my, my biggest problem with this post is it was, um, I understand if they think it's important to put it out there, like that, that's fine. But there was lots of really vague statements that seem very extreme without much clarity around anything. Like there was very little you could do reading this and say, well, okay, what can I do to help? There, it's not. 
it's almost like a, Hey, trust us. We're, we're building it. We're making progress. You're probably not going to know when we're getting anywhere, but we think we should involve a bunch of people to help figure this out. It's just, that was my, my challenge. So it, it might help to go through a few of these points because I think the average marketer business leader who might listen to our podcast could go read this post and just be like, I don't understand anything they're saying. So I think it might be helpful to unpack a few of these key points from it. And maybe Mike, if you have any context, like feel free to jump in here. So it, it starts off with AGI as the potential to give everyone incredible new capabilities. We can imagine a world where all of us have access to help with almost any cognitive task, providing a great force multiplier for human ingenuity and creativity. Sounds amazing. Like just on the surface, sounds great. Almost any cognitive task is a really big market and lots of applications. Uh, as we create successfully more powerful systems, um, we want to deploy them and gain experience with operating them in the real world. We believe this is the best way to carefully steward AGI into existence. A gradual transition to a world with AGI is better than a sudden one. We expect powerful AI to make the rate of progress in the world much faster, and we think it's better to adjust to this incrementally. So there's sometimes in the post where they actually talk about it's an inevitability, like, hey, we're going to get there and we're going to actually make it happen. And then there's other times where they talk about it's almost like something we don't want to have happen. And yet that's what they're doing is bringing it into existence. Um, I'll stop here and say, as we're thinking about this, it's almost helpful to throw the AGI part out of this. It's, it's kind of a weird idea, but don't. Because the top AI researchers can't agree, we're not going to agree, like, is AGI possible? I have no idea if AGI is possible. I don't work in these research labs. Like, we just follow what they're saying and we go read the research papers and it's like, try and synthesize it. So I have no idea if AGI is a year away or a hundred years away, or if it's never going to happen. But what we know is going to happen is more advanced AI systems live in the research labs right now, and they will find their way into society and business in the very near future. So let's look at the remaining points we're going to go through here under the lens of more advanced AI systems that the public hasn't previously seen, that they know exist, and that we're probably not ready for. So let's just assume we're talking about advanced AI systems. Then we don't have to have this debate about is AGI possible or not, because I don't think any of the AI researchers who debate around AGI would disagree that there are more advanced AI systems that haven't been released yet. Um, okay. So a gradual transition of these more advanced AI systems gives people, policymakers, and institutions time to understand what's happening, personally experience the benefits and downsides, adapt the economy, and put regulation in place. Those are important things. And, and I think those are very critical things to be discussing. There's nothing concrete in here about how any of that is happening. I would love to see that built out. Um, then we go on. Generally speaking, we think more usage of AI in the world will lead to good and we want to promote it by putting models in our API, open sourcing them, et cetera. We believe that democratized access will also lead to more and better research, decentralized power, more benefits, and a broader set of people contributing new ideas. In other words, we're going to keep putting this stuff out there for good or, for good or bad. There's going to be a lot of downsides, but we're going to keep doing it. As our systems get closer to AGI, we are becoming increasingly cautious with the creation and deployment of our models. Our decisions will require much more caution than society usually applies. I think we talked about this one before, but basically same premise. Um, at some point, the balance between the upsides and the downsides of deployments could shift our thinking. So basically, if things get worse and we get more powerful systems, we may pull back on this. We think it's important that society agree on extremely wide bounds of how AI can be used, but within those bounds, individual users have a lot of discretion. This goes back to what we talked about last week, I think, 
where they're going to have these personalized systems. They're going to do things you probably don't agree with that a lot of humans probably think are bad, but they're going to default to letting people kind of figure this out on their own. Um, this next one is the one that worries me a lot. So the default setting of our products will likely be quite constrained, but we plan to make it easy for users to change the behavior of the AI they're using. We believe in empowering individuals to make their own decisions um, and the inherent power of diversity ideas. So <clears throat> this, is, this is where I started thinking about if they have these, AI, these more advanced AI systems and they're restraining them from release, how is this any different than the people that left Google in 2017, 18, 19, because they wouldn't release the language models they had. So you have these AI researchers who work on these really advanced systems, and then they sit in research labs for years because the barriers to release them. So what's stopping open AI employees who work on this stuff and know what's possible from saying, yeah, I don't agree with open AI anymore. I don't think open AI knows what they're doing in terms of what's best for society. I'm going to leave open AI and go advance AGI on my own or start do a startup and advance AGI because I think it's more important. So we have this like this tiered system of the technology companies making the decisions and then the individuals within those companies, whether or not they agree with the decisions being made. So this is the one that actually started unsettling me is that you could have these researchers who say, I'm out, I'm done with open AI. They're being too cautious now they got too big they're too worried about government regulations and all these other things i'm going to leave and go do my own agi project and that's absolutely what's going to happen like i you can just foresee that right now that um that we'll have these research papers over the coming years about agi and then they're just going to leave and go do their thing um a couple other quick notes <clears throat> they hope the global conversation about three key questions how to govern these systems how to fairly distribute the benefits and how to fairly share access Again, they just basically say, we're going to work on these things. They, they don't get into how they're going to ensure these things. Um, they also talk about the idea of independent audits. <clears throat> My question is, from whom? Like, who would even do these audits? Is it auditing each other? Like the research labs auditing each other? Who would even have the knowledge to do these audits? So a lot of this depends on these, like, <clears throat> guardrails and things that seem really, really hard to put in place. And then it kind of wraps with a couple of notes around the first AGI will just be a point along the continuum of intelligence. It's like, oh, geez, like now we're just talking about these almost intentionally throwing things out that are really hard for the average person to comprehend and then successfully trans trans transitioning the world with super intelligence is perhaps the most important and hopeful and scary project in human history. So it was a lot. I mean, honestly, when I read this on Friday, I was like, oh my gosh, like I did not plan to end my week trying to process this post. Um, but I, I do think they're a very impactful company. There's no two ways around that. They're going to be a very influential company on marketing business in human history. And they think they're making very significant progress toward much more advanced systems, which they're going to call AGI. And that matters. <laughs> what they're doing matters. Why they're doing it matters. Um, and it's an important thing that we're that we talk about it as an industry and a society. So, reading between the lines here, obviously, we can disagree with the way they've kind of gone about this. But the fact that they're doing it 
does this mean some type of breakthrough is imminent when it comes to let's toss out AGI, let's just say advanced artificial intelligence coming down the line? It, it sure seems that way. I mean, everything we're seeing, not just from them, but from Meta, which you know, we'll talk about their new language model, um, Stability AI CEO, uh, everybody is increasingly talking about some stuff coming out in the near term. And we were talking about this, you know, in, in the fall and end of 2022, that it was things were building up. I think it's pretty safe to assume that in the coming months, there's going to be some advancements in AI that are going to be mind blowing. Whether we think they're actually a path to AGI or not, I don't think it really matters at this point. I think the thing we have to prepare for is that there are going to be advancements specifically in generative AI. I mean, that's the, the area we're focusing on right now, images, videos, audio, language, that businesses, marketers, uh, governments are not prepared for. And, uh, that's, I think the most important takeaway here is that we have to be prepared for this kind of rapid perpetual change that's about to occur as these systems get more intelligent and more powerful. Gotcha. And, you know, I think that's a good kind of transition into our second topic here, which is kind of more about what we can do as a response as marketers, as business people. So Paul, you posted recently on LinkedIn about the rise of more human content. And that post got a ton of attention. And in it, you outlined kind of one possible future for content marketing in the age of AI-generated content. And you said, quote, as AI-generated content floods the web, I believe we will see authentic human content take on far greater meaning and value for individuals and brands. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by authentic human content? Yeah, the basic premise here is the content that can't be easily faked. So we've touched on this, I think, in past episodes. I talked about it um, on this old marketing podcast with Robert Rose a little bit. Th this premise is like, as you see all this content on the internet, you almost start to just kind of assume a lot of it is written by AI. And that's not a bad thing. As long as the content's valuable, I still, I don't have a problem with using AI writing tools. Like it's, it's fine. And if you're not a great writer and you, you come to depend on these AI writing tools to create your content, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying, I believe what's going to happen is the pendulum will swing to a preference for, in many cases, stuff you know is very human. And by that, I mean, I kind of categorize it as in-person, can't fake in-person. Like if I'm standing there on the stage and I'm talking to you or Mance and questions, like that's the real thing. Unscripted. So like this podcast, Mike and I have some bullet points of what we're going to talk about. But other than that, it's like off the cuff and we're just having a conversation and sharing our point of view and offering things we hope help you figure out the space. Um, and then uniquely human, which I basically says like you, you have a very clear point of view. It, it, it infuses emotions. It infuses your experiences. It's very obvious that it is me talking or that I'm interviewing someone who is sharing their point of view from their human perspective of emotion and experience. And so those are things that you just, you can't really fake. And so I feel like people are going to crave that kind of content. And that was the basic premise is, you know, think about the kinds of content you can create 
where they know that it's coming from the human mind, the human imagination, coming from your heart, where you're really, it's you. And, um, and that's, you know, kind of, kind of move us into evolving our content strategies, I think. So it sounds like we're kind of talking about, you know, brands and individuals that create content may have to get quite a bit more introspective and perhaps vulnerable, transparent, and share more of what makes them them. Yeah. And it's interesting because in retrospect, it's kind of what we did with our content strategy back in November before ChatGPT. It wasn't even by design per se, like with this thought in mind, the more human idea. But we used to publish a ton of content on the Institute site that was listicles, how-tos, you know, um, and this is valuable stuff. Like, it's not like that isn't important, but our blog, if you go through the last like three or four months of content, it's largely summaries of podcast episodes. So it's our podcast. It's the video from the podcast, the audio from the podcast. We then take and synthesize each topic into a post and kind of summarize the points we made within that. So the more human content is at the core of our content strategy. And then it's played out in these different channels through that. Now we still publish the how to's and the lists and things like that, that people find valuable, but generally our content strategy has completely shifted to this more human idea. And so I think in the, the LinkedIn post I had highlighted, you know, you might see more resources towards newsletters with strong editorials. So not just lists, but like things you can't fake again, a strong point of view on something or experience podcasts, videos, and live events. Those are the things that jumped out to me as the obvious options to do this. And I think that's largely what we're doing again, without even really thinking about it. Cause I, I'd been thinking about this idea for a couple of months, but until I wrote that LinkedIn post last week, I hadn't really like solidified exactly what it was in my head. And then as I did it, I realized, oh, that's kind of funny. I, I guess that's actually what we've been doing for the last few months without really thinking it under these, this context. So it sounds like, you know, as people explore AI writing tools, content creation tools, that maybe you might be missing the point if you're just looking at it as a way to do what you've always done, just at a higher velocity, right? It sounds like you, many brands may need to actually take a step back and reevaluate their strategy as a whole. Yeah, or it could be just you keep doing what you've been doing, but you do that more efficiently. So you're using the AI writing tools to help you create the stuff you've always been creating. And then you take the time you're saving to create the more human content. Mm -hmm. So maybe we weren't doing the podcast or investing what we should have been, or we haven't really thought about doing some live events, or we don't use editorials in our newsletter, or we don't go out and interview anybody. Like the things that the AI is not going to do for you, maybe you take, you know, let's say you were spending 200 hours on content creation a month and AI writing tools got you down to hundred hours or 50 hours, then redistribute that time into the more human content. Like that's how I would look at it. I wouldn't, we're not saying stop doing the other stuff as long as the other stuff's valuable and the AI writing tools are helping you. Great. Keep doing it. Um, if it's not, then stop doing that and focus on the other stuff. But in, in many existing media companies, brands, agencies, the stuff you've been creating still has value. And, and we're not saying that's going to go away. Uh, I think I would just look at this as a, like a multi-tiered approach and really think about the fact that your readers, listeners, viewers may in the near future be craving content that they know is, is you, that it has a, your point of view, your perspective, your experience mixed into it, and that's going to be more valuable to them in the long run. 
So one really good example of how bad this can go um, <laughs> is our third topic, which is about chat GPT, get rich quick schemes. This so, one pissed me off. I just read this. I was so annoyed when I read this article. It is, it does not sound fun to have to be on the receiving end of what we're about to talk about. So one example of what we're talking about here is the editors of Clark's World, which is a popular science fiction and fantasy fiction magazine uh, that accepts short story submissions. They recently estimated that in February alone, 500 out of the 1200 submissions of stories they received were AI generated by tools like ChatGPT. The problem got so bad, the magazine had to suspend the submission process entirely, which is literally how the magazine gets its content. Um, now, what's really interesting here is the editors say that they suspect a new online trend was to blame. So there are internet scammers out there now selling get-rich-quick advice on how to use ChatGPT to churn out various types of content that makes money. And it's going far beyond submitting to a fiction magazine. Um, there's similar advice out there on how to make a quick buck generating content in book publishing on Amazon, e-commerce, and YouTube. In fact, there are already 200 or so books on Amazon that now list ChatGPT as an author or a co-author, and I'm sure many, many more that have been created with it, but don't list it. So how big of a problem do you anticipate this being? I think it's gonna be a huge problem. I mean, honestly, I think I read this on Saturday morning and, and that's when I put it up on LinkedIn and I immediately thought, wow, the Institute accepts submissions. I don't know if I want to anymore. Like immediately, and we don't get a ton because we don't promote the fact that we accept submissions that much, but we do get, you know, I don't know, five to 10 a month or something like that. We have thought previously about scaling up our content through guest submissions because that's what a lot of institutes, media companies do is they get other people to write content for them. Maybe they pay them. A lot of times they don't. They just give them promotion on the platform to grow their personal brand. And we've thought about that strategy in the past. And I almost felt like that strategy died Saturday morning for me. It's like, oh my God, the thought of having to like sift through all these how to's and lists. And it's like, dude, you didn't even write this thing. Like this is it. And then just the idea of having to go through that editor's going through of trying to even figure out, is this legit content? And again, not that AI generated content is bad or isn't valuable, but I've said before in this podcast, like I, I almost can't even look at the homepage or the for you page, whatever it is in Twitter, because every single thread is just like, obviously they just put in a prompt and they got this list of 10 things to know as an entrepreneur or 10 things with this. I was like, oh, like, I just can't read that stuff anymore. Um, and so that was my first reaction is, wow, we're, we're not expanding our submitted article ever because there's just no way to avoid this happening. And I think humans generally just ruin everything. Like marketers ruin good stuff. Like this is a very valuable, cool technology. And of course it was spun into this like scamming thing right away. So I think it's going to be widespread because people are generally lazy and like to find quick ways to make money. Um, and they're, if there's a scheme to be had, they're going to have it. And, I, you know, I, I get it. Like, I understand the money's there to be made and they're going to make it, but it doesn't mean I have to like it or agree with the approach. It's, uh, it's a very frustrating thing to see, honestly. So if you're a brand that accepts 
submitted content today or relies on it for a significant part of your strategy? Should you just be rethinking this entirely? I would. I, I, I don't. I mean, you have to. I, I don't know how you can. Like, unless you just don't care about the integrity of the brand and, and it's really just all a game of clicks and views and affiliate links. Like, I don't know, like I, I would be seriously, if I, again, we, we do have a site that does accept submission. So I, I guess it applies to us, but yeah, if I was building a media company or a brand that was built upon submissions from third parties, I would at minimum revisit the process of who is allowed to submit. Like, it seems like this site, I wasn't familiar with this site, but it seems like they basically accept from anyone and then yeah. the editor goes through. So, I mean, if you're accepting from a trusted group of writers and you have maybe your responsible AI policy is clear with them and they agree to that, maybe you update your terms of service of or terms of use where it's, here's what we expect in terms of the use of AI within content you submit. Like a minimum, I'm, I'm updating our policies and making it clear our stance on you know, how AI writing tools should be used in the process. Um, because this isn't that undifferentiated, honestly, from the conversations we've had around higher education and whether or not students should be allowed to submit papers that are written by the AI. Right. It's like, I want to know that you actually thought this through and that you're recommending these five steps for building a more intelligent content strategy to our readers because you've actually done it for a living and you know what the hell you're talking about, not because you went in and figured out the 20 prompts to give chat GPT and then prompted and here's the output. And in 10 seconds, you gave me these things that you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I still think experience and critical thinking matter. And I want to know that if I'm getting strategic advice from someone that they've actually been through it and they can validify, they can validate that what they're writing is real and, and valuable to the reader. So one thing that jumped out at me in this story is that the Clark's World editors mentioned that some of the chat GPT detection software they were using was just absolutely terrible in their opinion at catching the AI generated content. So, you know, as we're talking about this and our audience is thinking through, oh, well, maybe I could just use one of these tools. It doesn't sound like that's a consistent option. Yeah, we've touched on that topic before on the show. I have yet to see any proof that those things are going to be usable at scale, that they're going to be reliable, that you're going to be able to make real business decisions, call someone out on, you used AI to write this. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did because we're 83% confident that you did. Like, I, I just don't see how that's going to work. And I get that everybody wants to build the magic tool for figuring out whether or not AI wrote the whole thing, but until someone shows me a tool that actually works, stands up to research and testing, and that is usable at like a, a professor level in college where you're going to accuse a student of submitting an AI written article that they didn't have anything to do with. Hmm. I haven't seen it yet. And we've checked out most of what's been out there. So yeah, until there's some breakthrough in this space, which I don't anticipate, I, I don't know how those tools are going to be very helpful. Gotcha. And, you know, continuing kind of the talk of language here, we've got two rapid fire topics today. And the first one deals with a new uh, large language model that actually is released by Meta. So Facebook's uh, parent company. Um, 
It's called LLAMA, and this stands for Large Language Model Meta AI. And it's basically a foundational large language model that is being kind of open sourced by Meta and is smaller, but performs extremely well um, than some of the other models out there. And so by being smaller, it's actually, they claim, easier for researchers to understand better how the model works some of the possible areas where bias or risk could be involved. What did you make of this announcement, Paul? Well, it, I, I think it's, uh, it's certainly interesting. It's whether or not it's open source seems to be up for debate because as soon as they release it, they start getting the counterpoints of it's not really open source. You have to like give your contact information through a Google form to get it. It's only for the research community and Blah, blah, blah. So there was, it's almost like the AGI thing. Like the AI researchers just bicker with each other back and forth on technicalities around terminology and what it really means. But I think the key takeaway you highlighted, it is a smaller model trained with more specific data that, that performs at the level of or above larger models, which we've talked about previously on this show is one of the areas where this is going is that there's been an increasing number of research papers related to this idea that we don't actually have to build bigger models, that we might be able to achieve greater outcomes with smaller models that require less computing power, less energy, um, because they're more specialized, either in terms of how they behave, where they're only using a portion of the model, or because they're trained on specific data sets. So that, to me, was the, the big breakthrough here. Um, again, we, we don't know enough about how this is all going to play out in terms of the research community, but they seemed similar that they're releasing it in this specific way in part because maybe it's could be used in other ways. And so they don't want like a true open source release. Like, here you go, here's the code. Now there's going to probably be a race to build this thing on hugging face or stability AI. Like, you know, someone's going to release an open source version of this probably in the next month or so. And that's kind of the race we're in right now is meta ironically, um, seems to be like the most open of the research labs right now. They continue to share what they're doing. They're sharing their models, their papers, um, in some cases, the weights behind the models, while OpenAI is, you know, seemingly becoming more closed with what they're sharing. So Jan LeCun, who heads up the research lab, the FAIR um, research lab at Facebook Meta, this was his thing from day one. Like when he joined Facebook back in, I think it was like 2013, that was his requirement with Zuckerberg was that it was going to be an open model. They were going to share their research because Lacoon believes that is how you advance AI in society. And they've stuck to that to their credit. I've never been like the biggest advocate for Facebook and Meta, like, you know, from a personal perspective. But I have a lot of respect right now for how they're sticking to their mo the, like their roadmap of what they're doing. And I think Jan Lacoon's a really fascinating figure in all of this. Um, going back to the AGI topic, he's you know more of a human level intelligence guy, and I always look at his kind of counterpoints related to this stuff. But yeah, I think that was my main takeaway from it is it's um, these research labs have a lot more behind the scenes that we're not seeing, and I would expect this kind of stuff to continue to come out in the months ahead. Yeah, and it sounds like while we can't be sure that the trend will continue, you know, some people have pointed very rightly to possible hardware and compute constraints on some of these models as they grow. But the point here is that that may not actually come into play with AI advancements. We may actually be able to do more with less. Yep. So 
Our last topic for today is a pretty interesting announcement where uh, Bain & Company, which is a major consulting firm, I think they've got a venture capital or investment arm as well, uh, announced that they are partnering with OpenAI to offer services to expand the potential business applications of artificial intelligence, specifically OpenAI's technology, and kind of merge that with the consulting and expertise they already bring to the table. So they're offering now services around applying AI technologies to different areas, business and business strategy. What did you think when you saw this, Paul? I know we've talked quite a bit about the potential for um, consulting opportunities in this area and actually helping businesses apply this technology. It, it was interesting. It, they obviously, like Bain obviously wanted to make a big splash with this. I, I don't, on the surface, I, I'm not sure that it's really that big of a deal. Um, yeah, I saw somebody from OpenAI actually subtweeted. Somebody was like talking about this and somebody from OpenAI is like, hey, this actually isn't that big of a deal. Like, this is what we've been doing ourselves we just can't scale to meet the demand so like these enterprises are coming to open ai asking them to do custom models and build all these solutions and they need service partners that can help them because they can't scale services and maybe they don't even want to scale services to do this so to me it was probably more of a pr play than anything I, i'm guessing it bain's not the only firm they're working with like maybe there's an accenture and mckinsey and you know, they're probably doing this with other firms. It's like if I'm Bain and I take my client to open AI and say, let's build some custom solutions. And then Bain spins up the ability to help build on top of open AI. It's like, great. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, I saw there's more of a PR play most likely for Bain, but I think you're going to see a lot more of this. I did think it was interesting. I saw um, Amjad, the CEO of Replit, who I think I might've mentioned last week, he had tweeted on February 22nd, Professional services industry, companies like Accenture, are almost a $1 trillion market. That's the addressable market for replit bounties. So he was talking about how their bounties is where I can say, okay, I need an AI tool that does X, and I can actually put it up on the replit system, and somebody will build that AI tool for me. And I just set an amount. And so it, it's it's very obvious that this is like going to be an exploding space, that all these big consulting firms and analyst firms, they're they're going to get into the game of trying to build AI solutions for their for their clients because that's where the demand is going to be. And then there was actually like a Wall Street Journal article uh, last week as well that talked about, I know Andrew Ung had posted it, um, but it was this massive pressure that's mounting on CIOs of major enterprises because they're getting demand internally from all these different, you know, divisions or departments wanting AI tools for X, Y, and Z, and they don't have the resources to build these things. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of, movement in this space of people that are building up capabilities and doing partnerships to help build smarter solutions for enterprises. So probably just indicative of where we're going more than like some major milestone in the industry or something like that. Yeah, it definitely seems like one of those signals of the many we've seen that kind of validates like, okay, perhaps we are at the inflection point of actually wide scale adoption. Yeah. And I think any consulting firm or marketing agency that doesn't have these kinds of capabilities, you know, in the next 12 to 18 months, it's just not going to be relevant. Like I, I don't, every client is going to be demanding this kind of stuff. And most agencies still don't have a clue what they're talking about. So I think you're going to see a, either a rapid consolidation in the industry, where it's just like, if you don't understand this stuff, you just, 
acquired, get, get acquired, merge, whatever. But I, I don't see how agencies and consultancies survive without being AI emergent in, in the next one to two years. Like the demand for that expertise is going to be so massive. They're going to have to, or they just won't be able to compete. Probably another story for another time. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we certainly have more to share on that topic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Paul, as always, thank you so much for the time and sharing your expertise. I think this was an awesome rundown of kind of what's going on this week in AI. And, and I'm sure the audience appreciates it and I appreciate it as well. Yeah, thank you everybody for joining us as always. And we will be back next week. We have, we, I, I have a topic I'm very excited about for next week. So I won't get into it right now, but there's a, there's a big topic to be discussed next week. So definitely come back, subscribe, um, give us a rating. We'd love to, you know, see, we've, we've noticed the, the show's really been moving up the charts, which is awesome in the business and marketing realm in particular. So we appreciate all of our listeners and everybody who's kind of finding the, the show each week. Uh, it's fun to hear from you all. So don't hesitate to reach out as well and, and engage with us. We, we love to hear where you're at and what you're working on and, you know, what parts of the show you find interesting and, uh, so we can keep evolving there and creating value for everyone. So thanks again. We'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.